we still owe him. That's right. How so, you may say. Because when we recognize just how great, just how holy, just how majestic, just how magnificent, just how wonderful, just how righteous, and how gracious, and how merciful our God is. And we recognize just how unrighteous, and unholy, and unworthy, and unmajestic we are. All we can do is praise His name. tell you how much we have to praise him, one day is not enough. One week's not enough. One month's not enough. One year's not enough. One lifetime is not enough. It takes an entire eternity of all creation. And I'll remind you as the song did, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess. That includes your knee, and that includes your tongue. One day we'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans 5 and stand for a responsive reading. This morning, it's on page six of the program. Come from Romans five, verses twelve through twenty-one. Paul writes, "Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man." and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And everyone. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you. Be seated. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today with thankful hearts, with humble hearts. Lord, recognizing once again just, Lord, how, how puny our voices are. Lord, our cries of praise, Lord, they're inadequate. Our lives are inadequate, seemingly, as we recognize.
recognize just how wonderful and great and merciful that you are. Lord, that even in our sin, when we were enemies, you commended your love toward us and died for us. Lord, we've done nothing to deserve that. Not a thing. Lord, we've done nothing to warrant to be able to gather together as the church. Lord, to hear the word of God, to even proclaim the word of God in our nasty and dirty and vile vessels. Lord, that's simply by your grace, by your choosing. Lord, I pray this morning you would help us to understand that grace. Lord, even in just the smallest part, Lord, that we can cry out once again in praise. Help us to recognize, Lord, that mercy, Lord, that you bestowed upon us. That we can cry out once again in praise. Lord, help us to recognize the love that you bestowed upon us. Lord, that we might confess that you are Lord. To the glory of the Father. Lord, that we might bow our heads and our hearts. And give you all the honor and glory, Lord, that you deserve. Lord, we come to a portion of your word. Lord, that is beautiful and magnificent as all of it is. Lord, we begin to bring so many thoughts that you gave to Paul by your spirit many years ago. We begin to bring so many thoughts together. Lord, they begin to flow together and intersect. Lord, as we begin to understand in a greater nature the salvation that you've given us. And Lord, we begin to understand in a greater way, Lord, the depravity of who we are. Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would bring a godly sorrow upon this congregation. Lord, help us to recognize, Lord, just how fallen we were. Lord, that we might give you, Lord, just a little bit of the praise that you deserve. Lord, open up our hearts, open up our minds, open up our ears and our eyes. Lord, engage our thoughts, engage our minds, Lord, and preach Christ unto us this morning. These things we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. My voice is a little raspy this morning, uh, two weeks of teaching. A uh, high school freshman has uh, wore my voice out a little bit. So therefore, there will be no plausible words or lofty speech that your faith might rest not in the wisdom and the ability of this man, but in the power of God. We'll, we'll get to that scripture in a minute. <clears throat> now before we move forward, I want us to kind of prepare ourselves for what we're about to engage in. As you know, as, as the pastor has allowed me opportunity to, to stand before you, by the grace of God, we have worked our way through a great portion of Romans. And we have now come to the ending part of Romans chapter number 5. But before we enter into these few verses, and we're just going to cover three verses today, 12 through 14. I want us to look at Romans chapter number 12 and look at verse number 1. I always find it amazing whenever I'm teaching the men's Sunday school class, they, they tend to get onto my message a little bit. Brother Derwin Carter almost quoted these verses this morning. <clears throat> Paul writes, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, let's stop there. I'm going to come back to Romans 5. Hang on. I'll get there. When you read Romans, you find that the first 11 chapters are doctrine.
doctrine. They're teaching. He is explaining the salvation in totality that is given to us in Christ. And then when he moves to chapter number 12, he begins the practical portion of the epistle. Because of the salvation that has been given you by faith, chapter 12, here is how you are to act. Here's how you are to live. It is similar to what we have seen and I have expressed in uh, Ephesians chapter number 4. That we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Chapters 1 through 3 explain doctrine, who we are in Christ. And then chapters 4 through 6 explain how we are to walk and act. Okay? Let's look at verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The question becomes, what is holy? And what is acceptable to God. Yeah. Therefore we there must be an understanding. Within our own mind. Within our own heart. What is holy and acceptable to God. So we will know how we ought to live. Yes, Therefore he says. Do not be conformed to this world. Amen. The ways of this world. The means of this world. The methods of this world. The lust of the eyes, and the, lust of the lust of the pride of life, lust of the flesh. Not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. And how does that transformation take place? It takes place by the renewal of your mind. Okay? Your understanding, your perception, what you know. It all starts with the mind. Because the mind allows you to perceive different things and understand different things and comprehend different things. And then in turn how to respond to those things. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What he thinks, he does. So if we transform the mind, we transform the affections of the heart. We transform the affections of the heart, we transform the will of the body. So we continue to renew the mind, change the way we think. Why? That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. So we know what's holy, we know what's acceptable, what's good, what's perfect. Okay? I say that to say this. Your minds must be engaged this morning. This is not a feely, feely message. As is any message from the Word of God. It is one in which we must think, discern, ponder, meditate, consider, analyze. Within our own heart, within our own mind. Okay? Now you're scared because you're afraid I'm going to dig so deep. Maybe I will. But I want you to engage your minds this morning. Engage your minds this morning. We should do that anyway. Regardless of the, the topic within Scripture, the Scripture that is being proclaimed, regardless of the songs that are being sung. Yeah. When the songs are sung, we should engage our minds. Not because it has a good beat to it, has a good flow to it, but listening to the words of the song to engage our mind. That's why the songs we sing must be scriptural. They must be true. Okay? So, my commission to you before we move to Romans chapter number 5, verse 12, is I want your minds to be engaged this morning. Have your minds engaged.
know what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is error. So with that, let's turn back to Romans chapter number 5. And I have promised Miss Ruby I won't turn a whole lot in, with different scripture. I tend to do that a lot because I want you to, to, to be supported by scripture. And let scripture own scripture. And we will do some, but I don't want to lose you in the process. So Romans chapter number 5, looking at verse number 12, we find that Paul begins with a therefore. Common teaching, we know that therefore is there for a reason. And our immediate response is to look to the words, the context that has been previously given. Okay? But when we look at the context here, we're going much further back than just the previous few verses. Okay? Because if you look in chapter number 5, verse 1, there's already a therefore. Okay, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and he begins to give those great benefits of being justified by faith and the assurances that we have of being justified by faith. This, therefore, extends further back. These verses in chapter verses 12 through 21 are a summative or a conclusive uh, statement regarding what he has been saying ever since Romans 1, 16 and 17. Okay? Now, again, engage your mind. So for us to have a good understanding of verses 12 through 21, and specifically today, verses 12 through 14, we need to go back and be reminded of chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. So, let's move back to Romans, chapter number 1, verse 16. <clears throat> Again, the very beginning of the epistle. Verse number 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news. Why? For it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here you have Paul's thesis for the entire epistle to the Romans. Now, before I start using those school words like thesis, let's make sure we understand what I'm saying. It's what he's trying to say. It's his point. It's his purpose. Everything that he presents here in Romans, 6, Romans 1, 16 and 17, he uses the rest of the epistle to prove that thesis. Okay, to prove that point. That righteousness is by faith apart from works. Okay? He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Now, the first thing we have to recognize here, let's understand what he means by gospel. Gospel is not simply a style of music. Okay? And it's a word that you tend to hear over and over again. And like many words within the, the service and worship, we've become, become numb to them. But we have to recognize the gospel because we find here that that gospel is the power of salvation to all who believe. So, let's go to 1 Corinthians. Those of you that are in my Wednesday night Bible study, you know where I'm going here, but we're going to expand a little further. We touched on it again this morning in the men's study. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. 
give you a little background on what's going on in the church of Corinth, just so we have a little bit of context. Uh, they don't know who's right and who's wrong. A lot of teaching from the outside the church has crept in from pagan religions and idolaters. Believers anyway, but nonetheless, they have let some of those things creep in. And they are trying to discern who they are after, who they follow. Paul, Peter, Apollos, whoever it may be. Okay? And they were basing what truth was upon the ability of the one that was speaking it. Who did they like the most? Who had the delivery that they liked the most? The energy that they liked the most? The rationale that they liked the most? Who stirred them the most? This is what Paul is addressing. And notice what he says in verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So he stood before them, not resting and trusting in his ability to stir their emotions. Not resting in his reputation as an apostle. He could have come in there with great lofty pride because he was an apostle. But he came amongst them with fear, trembling. He did not come with them resting upon his ability to make a logical and a rational argument. But he simply came preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. The person and work of Christ. That is, Romans 1 verse 16, the power of God unto salvation. So let's turn back to Romans chapter 1 again. For, speaking of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, Jesus Christ and Him crucified, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Let's understand the purpose of religion as a whole. The purpose of religion as a whole is to somehow achieve the righteousness of God. We want to be accepted by God. And we will do anything, say anything, be anything that we might be accepted by God. That our works might be righteous. Okay? There was a problem though. Luther saw it very well. Luther tried and tried and tried and tried to achieve a righteousness that would be accepted by God. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed. He went to church, went to church, and went to church. He confessed and he confessed and he confessed and he confessed. Until the priest finally told him, get out of the confessional. You're wearing me out. But all it was, was that Martin Luther looked at his soul and looked at himself and kept seeing sin. It didn't matter what he did. He was still being having sin exposed in him to the very depths of his person. And therefore he was driven to the practice of that day to confess his sins to a priest. 
they might be absolved and he might attain the righteousness of God. And even when he felt like he had confessed every sin and he would, yes, he then recognized even my pride that I have confessed all of my sin is a sin unto itself. And the nonstop cycle continued. It drove Martin Luther to a point of craziness until he read these words. This righteousness of God, the only righteousness that God will accept is not something that we can attain from ourselves. But the righteousness of God is revealed from God to us. It is His righteousness that is granted unto us. Not by works, not by our ability, but simply and freely by grace. Notice how Paul puts it. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Notice the parallel. The power of God for salvation, there's a source everyone who believes that's an object let me say it again the power of God for salvation source everyone who believes object there is something that is giving something that is receiving you see that same parallel in verse 17 the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Now let's talk a little Greek. Engage your mind. In our English vernacular, all we see is faith and faith. We might quote it, but sometimes we don't know exactly what that means. But the first faith is in the genitive form. That means it is a source. The second faith is in the accusative form. That means it is an object. He is simply paralleling what he has said in verse 16. That the power of God for salvation from faith, the source, is to everyone who believes for faith. Okay? Pointing out this. The faith that we have received from God. The righteousness that we have received from God is not of our own doing, but it was sourced in God and then given unto us. It is an alien righteousness, a foreign righteousness. It is not our own, but it is a righteousness, here's your word, that is imputed unto us apart from the law and he goes with great urgency to say that this righteousness is not of our own doing chapter number 3 verse 21 look there very quickly he says but now Romans 3 21 the righteousness of God has been manifested, how? Apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Notice verse 22, by the way. He's basically restating Romans 1, 16 and 17. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God, source, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Object. Apart from the law. Look down to verse number 28. 
For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Verse 6 of chapter 4. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So Paul's entire thesis, his entire argument is that the righteousness of God is imputed unto us by faith. Okay? Apart from the works of the law. It is simply imputed unto us by grace. Not of anything that we have done. Not of anything that we have said. It is imputed unto us by grace. And then he begins his argument. Why? Because that concept is foolishness yes. to human wisdom. Righteousness by definition is being obedient to God. By definition, it is works based. By definition, you've got to do something to be accepted by God. Did you know that God's word gives commands? It's not just a thinking thing. There are commands that we are to actually perform, to do, to work. Righteousness, by definition, is a works-based thing. It doesn't make sense to the world that this righteousness is imputed unto us by faith in Jesus Christ. Something we must do, something we must say, something we must act upon. Therefore, when the human mind hears of the imputation of righteousness, they see it as folly. They see it as foolishness. When they hear that Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that that is the seed that we sow. It is the simplicity of the gospel. It is the oneness of the gospel. They are deceived like the woman in the garden. And say it just can't be that easy. It can't be that simple. I've got to do something to be righteous. So Paul begins his argument in verse chapter 1, verse 18. Now I'm not going to expound verse 1 through 18, or 118 all the way through chapter 5. We've been doing that. But I do want to go back and take a look. Verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Notice the gospel is given in verse 16 and 17, but to know the gospel, the good news, you have to know the bad news. And you have to recognize that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Okay? Verse 21, it says, For all they that knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Again, the natural mind refuses to believe the imputation of righteousness. The natural mind says, I've got to do something to impress God. And whenever it is presented the righteousness of God by faith, they don't like that. So they exchange the glory of God for a God that's more palatable unto them. That does see their works and approve of them. That does see their obedience and reward and bless them for it. Instead of seeing a God who is gracious and merciful mm -hmm. and all we can do is simply honor Him and give praise and praise and praise and thanks, which is all He's wanting here, yeah. we exchange that God for one that fits our human mindset. Oh, 
we stay religious. Okay? So whatever society states is religion, be it on this side of the planet or the other side of the planet, be it in something called a church or not, but we have exchanged God for something more palatable that fits our works-based mindset. And as that happens, God turns them over to a reprobate mind. You want to follow after that God? By all means, do so. Now let me just point something out. For years, I read that chapter and I pointed the finger at everybody else, but never myself. He's talking about you and he's talking about me. That's us. We're not thankful. We still think there's something in me that God says, that's pretty good right there. There's still a little bit in me that says, ooh, he's got it going on. God has my picture on his refrigerator. I just know it. But when we look at Romans 1, 18 through the end of the chapter, it's us. We're debased. We're covetous. We're murderers. We're striving. We're slanderers. We're haters of God. We're, we're, we're boastful. We're disobedient. That's us. And we approve everybody that does those things. We do it in the break room. We do it in the Sunday school room. We do it in the prayer room. We approve those things that society has deemed right and worthy. Yet they are an offense unto God. However slight we may see them to be. And he goes on to chapter 2 and he says, listen, you religious, you aren't above it. Same thing I'm saying now. It's not based upon your heritage, your family heritage, that you were raised in church, that you were brought up in church, that you sang in the children's choir, that you went on mission trips, that you gave to the shoot fund, that you came to Sunday school, that you taught Sunday school. It's not based upon anything that is of your religion. What God and what man has to be righteous, it's not based upon that at all. You have violated the law of God. It's not based upon your circumcision. Well, we are not Jewish and we don't have the requirement of circumcision, but we as a church, we got our own little circumcisions that we require. Things you gotta say, things you gotta do, things you gotta wear. You gotta walk that aisle, you gotta say that prayer, you gotta fill out that card, you gotta do that baptism. Welcome to the circumcision. Yet there is not a thing that we can do to impress God. But yet we have exchanged the glory of God to one to our liking that does approve of our walking the aisle and getting baptized and filling out the card and whatever other thing we see today. That's chapter 2. In chapter 3, he simply comes out and says, There is none that is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. We are all gone astray. And we are absolutely worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is a fear of a God. The God they exchanged it for. But not the fear of the God. Therefore... Every mouth is stopped, verse 19. Yeah. And the world is held accountable to God. 
But verse 21, which we read earlier. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. The righteousness of God, verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes. And are justified by their works? Yes. No. Amen. By grace as a gift. Yeah. Grace by definition is not a result of your works. Grace is unmerited. By definition, it is a gift unto you, not based upon anything you have said and done. Your, your picture is not on God's refrigerator. Justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation and appeasement of His wrath by His blood to receive, be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Ah. God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. Men were sinning from the beginning. But He had divine forbearance. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Therefore, we can't boast. Amen. Not in our works, not in our ability to keep the law, not in our circumcision. We can boast in nothing. Amen. And he gives an example. And who's the example that he gives in Romans 4? Abraham. Because everybody knows Abraham. The Jew and the Gentile had a respect for Abraham. They know who he is, they understand his story. And he points out that Abraham himself, his righteousness was imputed unto him. Not because of his works or his circumcision or even keeping the law. Because of that imputation of righteousness came before all of that ever happened. And in chapter 5, he says, Therefore, we have been justified by faith, not our works. Yeah. We have peace with God. We are no longer enemies of God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in the presence of God. Accepted by Him. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we've seen these the last few weeks. We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Our hope rests in the work of God, not in our own work. In His Word, not our own. And we know we have this promise because His love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We know this love because while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by his death. So much more now we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? He's going to keep us. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have recon received reconciliation. It's not our works that has impressed God. It was the works of Christ. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He was obedient even to the death of the cross. It was the faith of Christ. There's the source. It was His faith that has been imputed unto us. His righteousness imputed unto us. That when God does, He doesn't see us, He sees 
Christ. Imputation. His righteousness imputed to us by grace. Now let's get to the text. Therefore, again, he is summarizing everything we just talked about. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Just as sin came into the world through one man. And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, when Adam sinned, sin came into the world. And because of that sin, there's a result, there's a consequence. That consequence is death. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Eat of the tree, you shall surely die. And so, death spread to all men. Because all sinned. Now let's understand what we're talking about here. We know there is sin in mankind because there is death. Okay? We know there is sin present because people die every day. The young, the old, the imbecile, the wise, the religious, the unreligious. Death reigns. This is because of one man. When Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. And death, because that's the result of sin, entered as well. Death spread to all men because all sinned. Notice it doesn't say all are sinners or all will sin. The verb tense here is key. Engage your mind. It says death came spread to all men because all sinned. That is in the Greek aorist tense. Let me spell that for you so you can write it down. A-O-R-I-S-T. A-O-R-I-S-T. The aorist tense. What that means, it is a one-time action. It's not the present tense where it's continual. It's not the future tense or subjective where it may or may not happen in the future. But we find that all sin, yeah. one time. That's right. Yes, sir. When that one man sinned, Adam, guess who else sinned? You and you and you and me. When one man sinned, we all sinned. Okay? When one man sinned, we all sinned. You know what that is? One man's work imputed to the rest of us. Does that sound familiar at all? You see, the imputation of God's righteousness to us by faith, that's not a new and novel concept. 
That started in Genesis. When Adam sinned, we all sinned. How do I know? Because we're all dying. In essence, we used to sing the old song, Living by Faith in Jesus Above. We're dying by faith in the person and work of Adam. Okay? His sin has been imputed to us, and the fruits of such are death. Mm. How do we know? For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Okay? But sin is not counted where there is no law. Now we know sin was in the world, right? Because Adam died. The law wasn't around then. But Adam still died. Noah still died. All of those patriarchs still died before the law was ever given. So we know sin was present. But sin is not counted where there is no law. We didn't know sin. We didn't reckon it. We didn't understand it because there wasn't a given law at the time. A revelatory command of God. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression. It rained even though they hadn't heard a revelatory command of God. Even though they didn't have the law, they still died. Why? Because when Adam sinned, they sinned. When Adam sinned, we all sinned. It is the imputation of that sin and unrighteousness unto all of mankind. Who was a type of the one who was to come. Yes, sir. The imputation of unrighteousness unto mankind by the first Adam is a type of the imputation of righteousness by the second Adam. Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not done. Maybe. <laughs> I've said that before. That puts us in a very difficult situation. If Adam's sin was imputed unto us, Okay? And we didn't have a say-so in it. Oh my. His sin was imputed. His unrighteousness was given unto us thousands of years ago. And I didn't have a vote. And if I didn't have a vote of receiving that unrighteousness, I sure ain't got a boat in getting out of it. What am I to do? That is a very painful, helpless situation. So what I tend to do is I exchange my God for somebody else. That'll make me feel more righteous and make me feel like I'm accepted before God. But in the end, I stand before the true God, the God, holy God, righteous God, magnificent God, creator of all heaven and all earth, and my mouth is stopped and I got nothing to say. Because when Adam sinned, I sinned. And I can't do anything about it. My hands are tied. My feet is tied. I can't do anything. I'm done. I'm depraved. I'm dead. I've got no hope. That's right. You want to know how you feel? Go to Acts chapter number two. I'm going to tell you exactly how you feel. Mm. I 
told you I was done when I was wrong. Acts chapter number 2, this is Pentecost. The Spirit has come down upon the apostles there in the upper room. They have begun speaking in tongues where everyone can hear them in their native language. Can I point this out to you a little sidebar here? I, I talked about this on Wednesday night on some of the discussion afterward. You know, God confused the languages at Babel. God put a curse. And the only one who can redeem that curse or remove that curse would be God. So when everybody scattered their tongues in Genesis, all of a sudden he brings it all back into one at Pentecost. As a sign unto the Jew that, hey, this is of God. God providing salvation once again. When God gives the curse, He's the one that has to provide the salvation. When God says you must surely die, it is God that provides the salvation. Mm. Verse 22. As they are proclaiming Christ, or as they are speaking in tongues, all the Jews begin to gather around and they're amazed, they're, they're, they're dumbfounded, and they're saying, well, these men are just drunk. And Peter begins to preach in verse 22. He gets down to the nitty-gritty. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. He healed the sick, caused the blind to see, he walked on the water and raised the dead. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David, yes, King David, who you honor and revere, says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul in Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your patience. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. But being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. And he that was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received him from the Father the promise of the Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, doesn't sound right, does it? But that's what he says. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. This Jesus who was promised before the foundation of the world. Whose whose plan of God, everything revolved around Him coming and living and dwelling amongst us. He was your Savior. He was your God. He was the one you were looking for. But when you saw Him, because you exchanged God for one of your own life, when you saw Him, you rejected Him. You plotted against Him. Even though time and 
Now when they heard this, they were pricked or they were cut to the heart. Mm. No hope. The salvation that was promised unto us since Genesis chapter number 3 when man first fall. The Messiah that everybody had prophesied that was coming to live and dwell amongst us and to set up the kingdom. Everything we've been waiting for for thousands and thousands of years, we wiped it out in a weekend. Hopeless. Dead. Depraved. Unrighteousness imputed unto us and we can't do a thing about it. And we are cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, oh brothers, what do we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the, well, the, the, the gift, the gift, you can't earn it. You can't work for it. Yeah. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Yeah. Repent. 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 That's what we are called to do. And everyone who is elect of God will repent. I call you today to repent. The only hope you have is to repent. The only salvation you have is to repent. To turn from that God that you serve, no matter how holy and accepted He might be in the eyes of society. Repent and turn unto the true and living God. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. That is the only hope we've got. Thank you, Lord. You see, we are not sinners because we sin. Right. We sin because we're sinners. A leper can't change its spots. The Ethiopian can't change his skin. We are absolutely helpless. We must have a godly sorrow. Recognizing that there is not a thing I can do. My mouth is stopped. I am humbled. And I just simply pour myself out unto God. And cry out for mercy. God is the only way of salvation. Out of anything you can say, anything you can do. Unrighteousness has been imputed unto us through Adam. Righteousness is imputed unto those who believe by Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, grant us to understand Your Word this morning. Lord, as we Part our ways today. Lord, may your word continue to abide in our heart and in our mind. 
Lord, turn us to your word where questions and doubts arise. Bring us to prayer to seek wisdom from your throne. And you have promised to give it to us without scorning or rolling your eyes. Lord, we come asking for wisdom. Lord, you will give it to us abundantly. Lord, help us to know your righteousness and your salvation. You are the sovereign God of all. Lord, I pray you would open up our hearts to see ourselves as you see us. Lord, grace us with repentance this morning. These things we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of all. Amen.